Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, David Go here. Actually, by myself to do a solo episode, unfortunately, Peter unable to join us. And actually releasing this episode on Tuesday morning, uh, figured that we could wait one day. Uh, Brewers had off on Monday, so we can release this heading into a new week. They'll play the Cardinals this week, three games set at home. And then they'll play the Braves as well, three game series at home. Uh, Braves, pretty talented team, and it's it's the one look the Brewers will get from the Braves at home at American Family Field this year. So it could be an exciting series. Hopefully it is. Hopefully the Brewers bring some better baseball than they played last week. Brewers dropped four against the Phillies, and that was uh, really a tough series for the Brewers. A little bit sloppy. Probably should have won at least one, if not maybe two games. Offense really didn't show up much outside of maybe uh, Avisael Garcia, who had an excellent week. Brewers fell 4-3 in Game 1, came back in Game 2 with another one-run loss, 6-5, and yet another one-run loss in the third game of the series, 5-4, before being shut out by Zach Wheeler in a 2-0 loss. Great pitching performance by Brandon Woodruff, but the Brewers weren't able to capitalize it uh, on it. Kind of wasted an opportunity to take that last game of the series, maybe take a 3-2 win, a 4-2 win after Woodruff allowed, I think it was two hits over six and a third. Excellent outing. And actually the first Brewer to throw over a hundred pitches this season. Uh, Brewers have been, and I would say MLB as a whole, managing pitchers workloads a little bit more. Uh, And so Woodruff actually hitting, I think, 103 pitches. And that was the highest mark for the Brewers uh, so far this year. They went to Miami after, and they they fell 6-1 in the first game. Uh, Six-game skid actually uh, marked their longest in, I think, three years, maybe maybe two years, but I think it was three. Uh, but they did come back nicely, won 6-2 on Saturday, and then took the last game 2-1 in extras. Drew Rasmussen locking down the save. J.P. Fireisen actually allowing his first earned run of the season, uh, but he's been excellent all year long. Uh, and the Brewers' bullpen uh, really help them in that Marlins series and they probably would have gone 0-7 if not for a very strong performance by the bullpen uh, late in that Miami series and later in the week. Uh, so that's just kind of the, the quick recap at the week uh, before we get started uh, looking at some of the other things we're going to cover this week. A little bit different than most episodes. We've been talking a lot about the games lately, some of the better performers, uh, how the Brewers are playing, where there might be holes, and we will talk some about that. Uh, but a little bit more some, more, some more different and interesting topics. I think it was kind of a slow week for the Brewers and no reason to, to bore you with some some boring recaps to games that really didn't go the Brewers' way. Uh, so we will we will briefly talk about that, look ahead. Uh, but some other topics, uh, maybe potential trade options for the Brewers, that's something we're going to look at. Uh, but first, we're going to start with our stat of the day. Adrian Hauser hit a home run off Daniel Castano of the Marlins in his start this weekend. And that was actually the second home run of the year for Hauser already. And the second off Daniel Castano. The previous week, Hauser hit a home run also against Castano. And he is the first 
pitcher to homer twice off of the same opposing pitcher in a season since Bronson Arroyo did that off Glendon Rush in 2006. 15 years ago, Bronson Arroyo hitting two home runs off Glendon Rush, and that hadn't been done again until Adrian Hauser this past week when he hit his second off Daniel Castano. Unfortunately, won't get any more looks at Castano since the Brewers are done playing the Marlins for the rest of the year. Uh, but kind of a cool stat, Hauser now has two home runs and really has fared well uh, a little bit better than than most of the hitters on the hitting side of things. Of course, limited sample size. I think he's two for 10 with two home runs, uh, but I'll take it from, uh, from a pitcher. Of course, that's excellent. We've actually got a, a decent group of hitting pitchers, I'd say. Woodruff, of course, known for his hitting, uh, had, had that home run against Kershaw. It's, I feel like that's going to be like the moment of his career, regardless of how he how the rest of his career goes. That's kind of be going to be the defining moment um, as, as even though it was just a home run and he's a pitcher, it was off Kershaw, NLCS, national stage. Um, but Corbin Burns can swing the bat a little bit too. I think he's like three for 12 on the year. Um, and, and Corbin Burns actually an injury update should be coming back by the end of this week. So that's great news. I think he's throwing a bullpen on either Tuesday or Wednesday and then starting hopefully Friday or Saturday. We'll see if he'll be able to keep that walk streak up. Of course, we hope he can pass Kenley Jansen for most strikeouts to start a year without a walk. Jansen at 51 back in 2015, I think it was. Burns currently at 49. He had a lot of close calls against his the Marlins in his last start, uh, but hopefully he's fully recovered. It, it seems like from what we know, he had uh, COVID-19 or maybe close contact. Seems like he's doing well, though. Unfortunately, former Brewers manager and Milwaukee Braves catcher Del Crandall passed away uh, this past week. He was 91 years old, one of the last surviving members of uh, the 1957 Milwaukee Braves championship team. He also held the distinction of being the last uh, living Boston Braves player. He played with the Boston Braves in 1949 and 1950 at the ages of 19 and 20 and actually almost won the Rookie of the Year in 1949 when he was just 19. Uh, very good defensive catcher. That was kind of his calling card. And I think he made seven or eight all-star appearances. Uh, 11, actually. Wow, so I guess I miscounted pretty poorly. Uh, but four-time gold glover, 11-time all-star, World Series champion, and one of the first managers of the Milwaukee Brewers from 72 through 75. He was at the helm uh, of the Brewers ball club. He actually was influential in getting Robin Yount to start at shortstop for the Brewers in 1974. Yount was just 18. He was a year removed from the draft and in spring training Del Crandall said this is the best guy we got at short. He's going to be a really good baseball player for us. Uh, can we try to get Robin Yount to get some regular playing time at the big league level already? Uh, the, the Brewers management wasn't really too fond of the idea, but Crandall sold them on it. Of course, that was the beginning of Yount's Hall of Fame career. Uh, a little bit of credit maybe to Del Crandall for that, uh, for getting him that experience at such a young age. Uh, but he was a manager during that time, only had a, a few largely unsuccessful seasons, and uh, he ended up being fired at the end of the 1975 season. Uh, but Del Crandall, unfortunately, passing away. I think there are only two or three uh, living members of that 1957 Braves team now. Um, I know a couple have passed recently, of course, Henry Aaron being the most notable one. Uh, but Del Crandall, 
Milwaukee legend, uh, especially in the baseball scene. I think he's also in the Milwaukee Braves Wall of Fame uh, and Wall of Honor Walk of Fame. I know there are a lot of those um, different honors around the ballpark and uh, around the city. Del Crandall, I know, is on an, uh, a number of them. So certainly our condolences to Del Crandall's family and close friends um, as after his passing. Biggest news probably for the Brewers over the past week, Christian Yelich. He was activated from the injured list uh, on Monday for Monday's game against Philadelphia. He and Lorenzo Kane. Kane played. Kane hit a home run actually in that Monday game. Uh, but then Yelich didn't really have a good game. Uh, didn't quite seem like himself. And the next day he was placed back on the injured list. Uh, the, I would say the only positive is that creates more playing time for Tyrone Taylor, who's really been swinging the bat well. And we're going to get to that a little bit more. But Yelich, there's really no uh, no answers that the Brewers have right now for the um, the lack of healing, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, on his back. His back has been uh, kind of ailing for a little bit now, and he's not really sure what it is. There were no MRIs that showed significant uh, damage in his back or um, anything like that. They're really not sure how to proceed. I know that they said when the MRI came back clean, uh, that they were going to ramp it up, and that's why they did ac actually activate him last week. But clearly that didn't work. Yelich said he wasn't going to be able to make it through very many games with the way he was feeling. And being early in the season in May, it's not worth pushing it right now, even though the Brewers are maybe a little bit desperate for some offense. But Yelich, of course, being their key offensive contributor, it is a big loss whenever Yelich is not in the lineup. And you hope that he can be back uh, in relatively short order, but... We don't really know if that's going to be the case. We've seen Ryan Braun over the past few years struggle with a lot of back injuries, back ailments, and kind of nagging injuries. And certainly the last thing you'd want is for that to be the case with Yelich, especially already uh, he's only 28, I think, 29 years old, and got eight years left on his contract, seven years, nine years, something like that. Uh, so for Yelich to maybe have to deal with this for the rest of his career, uh, wouldn't really be the best outcome, even though I know he has dealt with it a little bit in the past. Uh, you definitely want to take care of it, and hopefully it gets better, even if it does mean maybe missing an extended period of time, even a month or two. We're not sure. The Brewers don't seem to really have answers, uh, or if they do, not really releasing them to the media. It uh, doesn't really seem like anyone has answers, so hopefully Yelich can uh, be back. I would say that it would be good if he would be back by the end of the month, but I don't really know if that's going to be uh, attainable. Hopefully it is. We will see on Christian Yelich, and of course, um, we all miss him. We all want him back, and he wants to be back, of course, too. So hopefully the Brewers are able to get Yelich back. Brewers also brought back a familiar face over the past week, brought him back on a minor league deal, and that would be utility man Hernan Perez. Perez was with the Nationals previously, spent a year with the Cubs, and he was last with the Brewers in 2019, spent five years with the ball club. Uh, he was known for swinging at a lot of pitches, had a little bit of pop, could play all over the diamond, good personality in the clubhouse, but um, not really a fun player to watch hit, I would say. Uh, he is going to be some uh, pretty valuable depth, I would say, and certainly enjoyed his time in Milwaukee even with a lot of his uh, close Latin uh, friends gone. Uh, they, I think they called it the Latin combo, and it seems like maybe Manny Pena is the only guy left. Orlando Arcias has left and was traded. Jesus Aguilar is gone from there. Uh, but Perez could 
could be in the major leagues at some point with the number of injuries the Brewers have seen. Mark Mathias is out for the year. Tim Lopes is out for a while on the injured list right now. Robertson really hasn't played well either. If the Brewers do choose to move on from Robertson, maybe Ernan Perez is the next man up. I think that's a legitimate possibility. Uh, and I think there's probably they're probably pretty similar players, uh, although we have seen that Ernan Perez's ceiling is kind of as a backup, as a utility man, and maybe just more so as some depth. Another move that we were speculating about for a while that finally came into fruition was the Keston Hira option to AAA. The Brewers decided to do that uh, as soon, pretty much as soon as the AAA season was starting. Uh, they did that when Yelich and Kane came back. Hira actually has yet to appear in a game, but he will make his debut with the Nashville Sounds on Tuesday hoping that Hira can figure things out with the bat again. I was listening to Keith Law talk about how uh, really the, the contact numbers and the contact skills that he's shown really throughout all of his uh, college and, and minor league career, and even early major league career, they basically disappeared, and he seems to be selling out more for power. Uh, I would agree from what I've, what I've seen of him over the past uh, year, I'd say, really since the 2020 season started. Seems like he's selling out for a little bit too much power. Uh, he does have some pop, but I think he's more valuable as a guy who hits 280 to 300 with maybe 20 home runs, not the guy who hits 250 with 25, 30 home runs. The Brewers need him to be a guy who's a consistent contact hitter and, and a very good gap-to-gap -gap hitter. I think that's really where Hira would be the best version of himself, and I think he'll stay in AAA until he can figure that out. Uh, I think that the Brewers will bring him back at some point. They'll try to, but if he's not going to hit in AAA, they're not going to bring him back. Uh, so hopefully he's able to figure some things out. Uh, like I said, making his AAA debut on Tuesday tonight um, uh, with the Nashville Sounds. So hopefully he can get things back on. But the first base situation has kind of been fluid. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach really hasn't done a very good job. He's hitting 193 with uh, his usual um, lack of speed, lack of agility at first. Although he has made some, some decent plays. Not a whole lot of power on base percentage below 300. You have to think that if uh, if Vogelback doesn't pick it up pretty soon, Brewers could move on from him. I think that first base spot right now is the weakest spot on the ball club. Uh, and I think the Brewers might need to make a change in that area, maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, I was looking at some of the options that the Brewers might have at first base going forward, whether it be in a free agent signing or in a trade. Uh, the first free agent signing uh, is a little bit out there. I don't know if, if uh, fans would like this. I don't know how likely this is, but it's just an idea. Uh, Albert Pujols, we saw him designated for assignment from the Angels. We're going big on this one. I know he's not the player he once was, but the big name. Could the Brewers sign Albert Pujols? Uh, I don't know how how Brewers fans would be uh, uh, would be willing to receive Albert Pujols um, with the Brewers being a, a noted Brewers killer back in the 2000s when he was a member of the Cardinals. But once the Angels formally release Pujols, he will become a free agent and he wants to keep playing this year. Um, once Pujols signs, he will earn only the the major league minimum from whichever team signs him with the Angels on the hook for the rest of his salary. So the Brewers don't really have to worry about uh, paying for Pujols' salary. I know he's not a great player anymore, uh, but you look at the last few years, his uh, numbers. This year, only 24 games, a little bit hard to gather much from it. Hit 198, uh, 250 on base, 372 slugging. 
Very similar numbers to Daniel Vogelbach. 2020 season, 39 games, hit 224 um, with 270 on base, 395 slugging, hit six home runs in about 160 at-bats. So, not, again, not a great year, uh, but the Brewers really haven't received much of any production at first base. So, really anything at this point would be better than Vogelbach or Hira so far. Uh, I would say, uh, looking at those last two years, it doesn't seem like Pujols represents a big improvement over Vogelbach, or, or maybe even any improvement over Vogelbach. But at the same time, would Pujols help put fans in the in the seats? I think so. Uh, he's still chasing a number of records. I mean, it seems like with every hit, with every home run, every RBI, he's passing another legend, another icon. Uh, you look at his position in the all-time leaderboards, home runs, uh, I think he's fifth right now behind Bonds, Aaron, Ruth, and A-Rod. Will he catch A-Rod this year? No, but every home run brings a little bit of excitement for Albert Pujols, even at his the age of uh, 41, uh, or maybe older as, uh, as some of the speculation may have it. RBIs, I think he's second or third all-time uh, with a, a chance either this year or if he is able to hang on for another year of uh, passing Henry Aaron for the all-time record. He's right up there. Um, and then even just some other milestones, uh, could he get to 700 doubles? It's possible, uh, would be a little bit unlikely, um, but if he were somehow able to get to 700 doubles and home runs, I think he'd be the first one to do it. And I think uh, this is kind of a, a newer one, but he's at 99.5 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. If he is able to regain a little bit of the value or the wins above replacement that he lost, could he get back to 100? It's possible. I know that's not really something that Pujols is still playing for at this age, uh, but at the same time, uh, maybe he is. He wants to keep playing. Uh, and could the Brewers be a landing spot for Albert Pujols, three-time MVP, 10-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion, and maybe the best first baseman of all time? If any team is going to do it, the Brewers have a spot open at first base. Uh, if, if I'm the Brewers, I'd be almost ready to move on from Daniel Vogelbach. They were almost ready to do that already this offseason. Could Albert Pujols be maybe a stopgap for the Brewers? I... It's tempting because I think he's a big name that would draw fans. Even though Albert Pujols isn't the player he was, could he help the ball club? Maybe a little bit. And I think he's always uh, been known as a good clubhouse presence. Uh, he's not really taking at-bats away from anyone right now. And even if Hira comes back, um, could he slide into a more of a bench role? Maybe. Hira can play some second base uh, should Wong get hurt again. Provides a little bit of insurance. Seems like a good guy to have around the clubhouse. I know it's a little bit out there, a little bit outlandish. Do I want them to sign Pujols um, for the publicity and for the uh, putting the fans in the seats and the excitement of it? Yeah, I would say so. Do I think he'd make a big impact on the field? Not necessarily. Uh, we'll see about that. Not sure how likely it is, but possibility. Uh, a few more likely maybe trade candidates. Um, I have a couple that are that are shorter term options. CJ Crone, he's on the Rockies right now and has gotten off to a hot start, unlike Pujols. He's hitting 290 uh, in the thin air of Coors, but still in a very pitching heavy year so far. Crone's hit 290, five home runs, 394 on base percentage. Been a very good hitting first baseman so far. 
He's on a one-year contract, would be a rental. I don't think it'd take too much to get him. Rockies aren't contending this year. Uh, presumably, will be selling at the deadline. Crone was uh, listed as maybe a possible option for the Brewers at first base this past offseason as a free agent. Brewers decided not to sign him, signed Colton Wong, Keston Hira sliding over to first base. But maybe the Brewers will kind of rectify that situation with getting a guy like CJ Crone. Uh, I think somebody that maybe would be a good fit uh, to go to Colorado in a CJ Crone trade would be Corey Ray. Ray's a major league outfield, uh, major league, excuse me, major league ready outfield prospect. He's athletic. Uh, he's a pretty good defensive player. Slot him into uh, that big expansive outfield at Coors Field. He struggled with the bat a little bit, um, and so maybe it, going to Coors would would boost his confidence a little bit, get him back on track, and I think a change of scenery would help him. Uh, former top prospect, former high draft pick, fifth overall. And the Rockies certainly would still see the upside, the talent, the, the raw talent that he maybe still hasn't put together uh, yet in the minor leagues. Could be an intriguing option. Uh, I'd be a, a big fan of a, a Corey Ray for CJ Crone trade. Pure speculation on my part, um, but could be an option at first base. Another guy looking just within the division is a guy from Pittsburgh, their best hitter actually so far, Colin Moran. He's actually injured right now, uh, but will be off plenty in uh, in time for the trade deadline. He's played first base and third base throughout his career with the Pirates, and he, like Crone, has gotten off to a hot start. 297 average, 352 on base with a 468 slugging. Uh, four home runs this year. Last year, he was pretty solid. Slugged 472 and, again, was one of the Pirates' best hitters. Uh, pretty good defensive first baseman as well. Uh, he does still have, I, th I think it's uh, another year or two under team control after this year. So the Brewers would probably have to give up a little bit more than just like a Corey Ray type guy, although he could be another guy uh, or another trade where he could go in. Uh, I do think that Moran would be a, a pretty good option for the Brewers if they are going to add at first base. And again, not, not necessarily a big exciting option to get, but a consistent solid first baseman which is something the brewers are lacking the brewers need offense uh, it, it's i think it's been pretty well documented now the starting rotation has been very very good and will continue to be as long as they stay healthy the bullpen's been pretty good so far fire Eisen settled in williams settled in a little bit josh Hader has also had a very good year and even guys like boxberger has been uh been pretty good rasmussen setting settling into himself a little bit uh, so the bullpen's been pretty good. It's really been the offense, though. Narvaez, he's hurt right now, but he's been good. Colton Wong has been good. Outside of that, though, Urias has been fine. Shaw has been fine. Bradley has been not very good. Uh, you, you have to think that some of them will turn it around. But even if they do turn it around, we're not talking about uh, huge production from these guys. We're talking about may maybe average hitters. I think for the Brewers to go past the first round of the playoffs, if they even sneak in, uh, with the division title, the Brewers need to add some offense. And then the third option uh, that I am bringing up as far as a, a possible trade candidate, Christian Walker from the D-backs. Uh, he also would be under team control for a few years. I, I think actually maybe three more after this. So that's why I think Arizona might be a little bit more hesitant to give him up. And just in 2019, the last full season, 29 home runs, 
hit 259. He's a very good defensive first baseman as well. So he might cost a little bit more to give up. Uh, maybe looking at some of those mid-level prospects, guys like Antoine Kelly, Mario Feliciano, Tristan Lutz, uh, maybe maybe one of those guys, or maybe even two of those guys with another uh, young lottery ticket type. Uh, but I think Christian Walker would be a good fit for the Brewers. Another pretty steady guy, and he hasn't really gotten off to a good start. Might lower his value. I think that there's not really much to worry about as far as that goes. Uh, but I would be excited if the Brewers brought in someone like Christian Walker to stabilize first base a little bit. Uh, the only thing is then, what do you do with Hira for the rest of the year, presuming that he comes back up? Uh, although David Stearns has, has shown a willingness to bring in guys that maybe unconventional positions based on the rest of their their players. If Hira hasn't hit this year, um, he could come back and be a good bat off the bench, maybe play one or two out of every three games at first and second. Uh, maybe even try, this is, I'm probably going to hate myself for saying this, but try Hira at third. Actually, no, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know how well that would go, actually. We... Uh, we've seen some bad defensive experiments, Domingo in center field, uh, Jonathan VR in center field, Ryan Braun at third base. Probably don't want Keston here at third base, um, but you still have, have some options there. And if Walker's under contract for the next few years, you presumably have the uh, universal DH coming in next year where Hira could play there. I think long term, that's where Hira's spot will be at the designated hitter role. So those are just uh, a few guys that they could choose to bring in via the trade. Uh, again, Christian Walker, Colin Moran, CJ Crone, some ideas of guys that they could maybe bring in, as well as maybe Albert Pujols, um, maybe a little bit less likely, uh, but still maybe a, a small chance. Well, with that being said, though, we're coming up a little bit on the trade season. Um, I don't know if I'd quite say that we should expect trades to be made right now, but there are always rumors circulating as early as May or June. Occasionally, you will see uh, the June blockbuster trade, or even early July. Um, it, it is only May, but um, but teams are really looking to improve their ball clubs already. And while we're already talking about uh, some of the uh, some of the possible trade acquisitions the Brewers could choose to go after, uh, we're going to take a short look at the best and worst midseason trades in franchise history. Uh, so these are only including guys that were traded in the summer months, so May, June, July, August. Um, not including some of the winter moves like Christian Yelich trade, of course, happened in December, January time frame. Uh, the blockbuster in 1980 where they got Fingers, Sutton, uh, Pete Vukovic, that was also in, that was in December. So we're looking at guys uh, that they brought in to bolster their already uh, pretty solid ball club or maybe help them to rebuild. So we're going to go through the three best and the three worst trades in franchise history that were made midseason. Uh, so starting off, counting down with the third worst, we're going to go with a trade that was made in, I think it was summer of 2006 with Texas. The Brewers traded Nelson Cruz and Carlos Lee to the Rangers in exchange for Francisco Cordero, Julian Cordero, Kevin Mensch, and Lance Nix. Nelson Cruz, of course, still playing 15 years later. Uh, Twins DH. I think he's approaching 500 home runs now over his career. So Brewers certainly would like to have him back. Not necessarily the case that he would have spent his whole career with the Brewers, but he 
already just a couple of years later was a formidable bat in the Rangers lineup. I mean, to think about what Cruz could have done with the Brewers at 2011 team, throw a Nelson Cruz-esque bat in the middle of the lineup. You, I mean, I know you have Corey Hart in right field, but maybe shift him to the bench or maybe you trade him for some pitching instead. And the Brewers could have been a, a World Series champion level team if you put Nelson Cruz on that team. Uh, Francisco Cordero ended up having a nice year in 07 with the Brewers. They got a comp pick for him after losing him in free agency to the Reds, actually, which turned into Jake Odorizzi, who was in the Grinky trade, ended up contributing to that 2011 team also. The Brewers certainly would have loved to have Nelson Cruz there instead. Kevin Mench, Lance Nix, just some bench pieces. Julian Cordero, I don't believe he ever made the majors, or if he did, uh, didn't make much of an impact. And Carlos Lee was pretty solid. Ended up having a few more good years in Houston. Uh, pretty good career from Carlos Lee. Uh, but Nelson Cruz is really the main guy they'd like to have back in that deal. Going over to the some of the better trades with the third best coming in. Brewers trading Kevin Bass, Frank DiPino, and Mike Madden in exchange for Don Sutton. This came in August, a waiver deadline trade. Brewers brought in Don Sutton for uh, really the purpose of pitching in the big game. He had been uh, pretty experienced, established in the, uh, in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. I think he already had over 200 wins throughout his career at that point. And Houston had brought him in a couple years prior. Um, and the Brewers gave up a couple pretty talented players. Kevin Bass had a very nice career as an outfielder. Frank DiPino, a few solid years of pitcher with Houston. But Don Sutton pitched probably the biggest game of that regular season. Game 162 against Baltimore. Winner takes the division. Sutton gave, uh, gave up, I think, only one run in eight innings. Excellent performance. We talked about that a few months ago, I believe, when Sutton passed away. Uh, and he also had a, a very good performance. I think he went like seven innings, uh, one or two runs against the Angels in game three of the ALCS facing elimination. Uh, another big game from Sutton. Uh, I know he didn't have much success in the uh, in the World Series, uh, but he still uh, was a big acquisition for the Brewers. Held on to him in 83 and 84. Ended up getting his, I think, 3,000th strikeout with the Brewers. Uh, that was a very good trade for the Brewers, even giving up Kevin Bass and Frank DiPino. Going back to uh, one of the worst trades in franchise history, this was more, I think, symbolic than anything else and kind of signaled uh, maybe a premature changing of the guard when they traded Gorman Thomas to Cleveland for Rick Manning, I think it was. Uh, Rick Manning is probably known for getting the walk-off hit during Molitor's hitting streak in 89. Uh, if Rick Manning had gotten out, Molitor would have gotten another chance to prolong his hitting streak. Unfortunately, Manning with the walk-off hit um, and Molitor was unable to keep the streak going. But um, he ended up just kind of being a, a fringe starter, backup outfielder, and not really much. Gorman was really upset with the trade. A lot of the players were, and it kind of signaled the end of already that uh, that great 82 team. They were really only together for two years in 81 and 82, and after a slow start in 83, which really isn't all that common for teams coming off a World Series appearance, uh, they, they decided to change things up and trade Gorman Thomas, shipped him out of town. Uh, and that kind of signaled the end of that good run in the late 70s, early 80s, before they had to try to kind of rebuild going into the late 80s and early 90s. Um, trade didn't really work out. Rick Manning didn't end up becoming that great of a player for the Brewers. And that was one of the worst trades in franchise history from a midseason uh, acquisition or, uh, or dealing. 
Um, going back to uh, one of the best trades, this is a more recent one. Uh, many of you probably remember it, but the Brewers, when they traded Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires to the Astros, kind of propelled their rebuild a little bit. Brett Phillips, Domingo Santana, um, Josh Hader, and Adrian Hauser coming back in the deal. Four big pieces of the Brewers' rebuild. Phillips didn't end up having as big of a role as was expected, but he was a key piece in bringing back Mike Moustakis, who contributed greatly on some of the teams a couple years ago, 2018 and 19. Big piece there. Domingo Santana had a few solid years, ended up being traded for Ben Gamble then uh, a couple of years later. Uh, I think he did hit 30 home runs in 2017, it was, uh, and was the best bat off the bench in 18, helped contribute that way. Josh Hader, of course, we know him now as the Brewers' closer, the best reliever in baseball. He's turned out really well. And Adrian Hauser, who was kind of the least known at the time, has ended up becoming a solid uh, back end of the rotation starter. And with the Brewers now, of course, uh, in the rotation, Hauser's ended up becoming a nice arm. Gomez actually was released before his contract was up in 2016. Fires through a no-hitter for Houston. And of course, we now know him as the guy who broke the sign-stealing scandal, released it to the world, and ended up having um, an interesting career. He was a, a later round pick out of a D2 school, ended up throwing two no-hitters. I think he's won probably 70 or 80 games over his career. And like I said, broke the sign-stealing scandal. Without that trade, um, the sign-stealing scandal never comes out to the world. Um, and we don't get a lot of the backlash the Astros see. Who knows what uh, what baseball would look like, how it might be different without that trade. Uh, big trade. And of course, that came right after the next Carlos Gomez to the Mets trade. Uh, and now for the worst trade, the worst midseason trade uh, in Brewers franchise history. Um, I know this might not necessarily turn out to be the worst because of the players that they gave up. Uh, not so much significance, but how can you go wrong with the Jonathan Scope trade from Baltimore? Had quite possibly the worst two-month stretch of a trade deadline acquisition um, in Major League history. And no, I didn't look at all the uh, trade deadline acquisitions in Major League history, but Scope has to be up there. He was terrible. It felt like he was striking out three-quarters of his at-bats. Uh, really, the only good thing he did was hit a grand slam off Bumgarner in that August game after Bumgarner hit Braun intentionally. That was a great moment. But Scope, other than that, really didn't do anything for the Brewers. They didn't have to give up too much, at least. Luis Ortiz, it doesn't seem like uh, he'll amount to much at the big league level. Uh, I think he's bounced off waivers a little bit. Uh, Jonathan VR, still a, a solid utility guy. Um, maybe start when you need him to and uh, steals a lot of bases. But he's kind of bounced around uh, Baltimore, Toronto, Miami. Uh, and I think he's with the Mets now. And then Gene Carmono, Carmona a young shortstop. I think he's still only 21 years old, uh, but doesn't seem like he will amount to really anything special at this point. And lastly, we have our best midseason trade in franchise history. I think the most important part of this is understanding the context of it first. Um, I think most of you know where this is going. Brewers 26-year playoff drought. Uh, finally have an exciting team. Fell a few games short of the playoffs the prior year in 2007, and the Brewers really looking to make a splash, and they go out and they get the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner, CeCe Sabathia, um, early July trade, and he goes out and, I mean, he battles for the Brewers. He throws on three days rest a few times at the end of the year, throws 130 innings in just a half season going into his contract year, potentially putting his health on the line. 
who knows? He could have been a better pitcher, a uh, more effective pitcher later into his career, if not for the Brewers uh, run that he had. But he was willing to put everything he had on the line. Uh, he, I think, finished fourth or fifth in the Cy Young voting in the NL for only a half year. He tied for the league lead in shutouts. I think he led the league in complete games. Um, and I know one of the ones that he tied for the league lead with was Ben Sheets, who was another Brewer. Uh, CC Sabathia was um, quite possibly the, uh, the best rental of all time, the best um, half-season trade deadline acquisition uh, that you could possibly make and the best one that, that really has ever been made in baseball history. He pitched uh, pitched like an ace, like a true ace, one six five ERA, um, and was the best stretch of any Brewer pitcher uh, in franchise history. Uh, unfortunately, they did have to give up a couple quality players uh, at the time, and only one of them turned into a uh, quality major leaguer, and that was Michael Brantley's couple-time All-Star, still playing in Houston. Uh, he's a pretty solid outfielder, usually hits about 300, 310 every year. Matt Laporta, the headliner, really didn't turn out. First base prospect, the bat never really came around, and then a couple pitchers, Zach Jackson, Rob Bryson, didn't really turn out. Uh, but even with Brantley turning out as well as he did, uh, Cleveland had to have been happy with the deal getting Brantley, but the Brewers were happier, certainly. Brewers got what they wanted, made it to the postseason uh, on the heels of CeCe's incredible performance, the complete game against the Cubs in the last game of the year to propel them into the postseason. Outstanding performance by CeCe, and that's going to go down as our best midseason trade in franchise history. Hard to beat that. I don't think the Brewers really will be able to beat that at this year's deadline, even if they were able to pull off a move for, say, a, a Trevor Story or someone like that. CC Sabathia, the best trade in midseason trade in Brewers franchise history. And then lastly, just a couple things that we wanted to wrap up with uh, before we take off for the week um, and look ahead at the upcoming schedule. There were a couple of no-hitters last week, and uh, we've seen four no-hitters already this year, which is quite a lot, more than we've seen at this point in 100 years. We saw John Means throw a no-hitter, uh, which was a little bit of a hot topic, and we'll get to that a little bit after. And then Wade Miley, also of the Reds, and a former Brewer. Of course, we talked about Mike Fires earlier in the episode. Now two former Brewers in recent years who have gone on and thrown no-hitters, but yet Brewers still haven't thrown a no-hitter now in 34 years. Juan Nieves has been a long time. Uh, I think that's the second or third longest drought around the league. So hopefully the Brewers can get a no-hitter soon. You'd have to think that now's really their best chance that they've ever had. Corbin Burns is seemingly unhittable. Brandon Woodruff really is too. Uh, so when you look at two arms like that, uh, and there seems like they're allowing one or two hits regularly only in six, seven innings. Uh, one of them could really throw a no-hitter before their time with the Brewers is over. So... Uh, hopefully that streak is able to end, but the John Means no-hitter, the only thing that pre prevented it from being a perfect game was a drop third strike. And that's kind of been a, a hot topic of debate. Should the drop third strike rule be in place? I know it has been in place for 100, 120, 130 years. Uh, personally, I don't think it should. I don't think that the drop third strike rule is really, um, I would say, a fair rule to the pitcher. I know a lot of people say that's just how it is, and I understand that. Uh, I'm not saying you should change the game a ton all the time, but at the same time, if I throw a curveball that's really that good of a pitch that it made the the hitter swing at it, the catcher it's not like the catcher has to catch it to me for it to be a good pitch. I think it's just different. I mean, I could throw a high fastball and get a strikeout, or I could throw a low curveball and get a strikeout. I don't really think there's anything different about that. 
but then the one might go in the dirt and happen to squirt through the catcher's leg. And to me, the hitter, it was still the same result for the hitter. He shouldn't have to be awarded um, or, or have the opportunity to go to first base uh, after swinging and missing and striking out. I'm not a fan of the, the drop third strike rule personally. I'd love to hear if you guys have any thoughts on the drop third strike rule. Just email us or contact us or reply to one of our tweets on Twitter uh, about the drop third strike rule um, since it's been a hot topic of debate. And I know there's been a lot of back and forth. A lot of pitchers don't like it and hitters are fine with it. Um, and makes sense because I'm a pitcher too. So I like I like having no drop third strike ruler. That's what I'd prefer. Uh, the Biloxi Shuckers also um, had an interesting inning in their, uh, I think it was their opening night game. Maybe it was the, uh, the game after. Uh, but I think they walked uh, 12 times in one inning. They drew 12 walks in one inning. Uh, 13 in uh, the sixth inning. The Biloxi Shuckers drew 16 over the course of the game. And this happened... Uh, and it looks like May seventh. That would have been uh, Friday. Um, I've never seen that in a in a minor league game, even in a professional game, to score twelve runs and draw twelve walks in the inning. Uh, I think four pitchers from the White Sox affiliate Birmingham Barons combined for uh, the uh, the feat of twelve walks in an inning. Quite impressive. Uh, you wouldn't even really see that in college, I don't think. So to see that in the minor leagues, uh, I was re reading the uh, the play-by-play uh, -play of the inning, and it was something along the lines of like single, fly out, walk, walk, double, walk, 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 single strikeout, walk, walk, ground out, or something like that. Crazy, unlike anything I've ever seen before. Um, and that was in one of their first games of the year. Of course, we just saw the minor league season kick off. And once we have a few more uh, notable stats, we can certainly take a look and a deeper dive into the Brewers farm system. And we will certainly do that. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode, though. Um, I really enjoyed uh Going out with uh, coming with a, a number of different topics than we've had over the past few years. Of course, a little bit of news from the Brewers standpoint. We'd love to see Yelich back and healthy pretty soon, and hopefully that can happen. But unfortunately, we just don't know if that will uh, happen realistically. Aaron Perez signed a minor league deal with the Brewers. Could see him in a Brewers uniform already this year, uh, but we'll see. Uh, Brewers also have D. Strange Gordon down at AAA, another depth option there in kind of a utility spot. Uh, Hero was optioned out to AAA um, and, and kind of leaves the first base spot open with Vogelback not really playing well either. Looked at some potential trade options uh, or potentially assigning a guy like Pujols, trading for a guy like Crone, Colin Moran, Christian Walker. Just some of the options that I had brought up as, as possibilities and what some of those trade packages might look like. Um, since I, I do think the Brewers need more offense going forward, and maybe not necessarily right now in May, uh, but as we get into June, July, August, and into the stretch run, I know we've got a little bit of time till then, uh, but the Brewers still do need more offense. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, and so hopefully the Brewers are able to get uh, things a little bit more situated with that offense. Tyrone Taylor's really been playing well lately. Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, should continue to pick up the pace a little bit with the bat. Travis Shaw, Luis Urias, they've been up and down, uh, but I think that they should be able to gain a little bit more consistency as the year goes on. And I'm excited to see some of those guys like Urias, like Shaw, that maybe we've seen them have some success before, um, but would like to see them get some more consistency. Uh, they're, I would say, pretty exciting players to watch, um, and I 
and I certainly hope that they are able to pick it up a little bit uh, along with the rest of the offense. But thanks for listening for to today's episode. Um, as always, go to our Twitter account at Brewers Podcast, TikTok also. We haven't really been very active on the TikTok lately, um, so Twitter is the better place to reach us. Um, you can support us on our uh, page on Anchor. Uh, if you'd like to financially support us and the work we do with the podcast, uh, we'd really greatly appreciate that if you did. Um, and if you if you don't want to financially support us, that's okay. Um, but we'd love if you would rate or review our podcast. Um, that certainly helps the, the word get out about our podcast. Uh, and so we thank you again for listening. Hope you have a great week. And hopefully the Brewers are able to have a more successful week this week uh, with three games against St. Louis and three games against Atlanta. So as always, thanks again and go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.